Hello, this is Marissa Schaefer, and I'm here with Danceable Podcast. So I want to start this episode by posing a question. You're injured, and you know that performing certain steps or dancing full out will make your injury worse and will prolong healing. Do you feel comfortable advocating for yourself in the studio and speaking up for your injury? In episode 65, I chat with three groups about the difficulties and anxieties that come up around injuries. So over the next hour, you will hear two pre-professional dancers, two seasoned professional dancers, and two teachers, choreographers speaking candidly on the subject. I want to thank all six of these individuals for their openness. I appreciate each and every one of you. Enjoy. Buckle your seatbelts. On this episode, nutrition, life coach, dance and performance, psychological development. And today you are in for treat. Hi. Hello. This is Ellie Kushner. And this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. Hi, Martina and Amina. Welcome to Dancewell Podcast. Uh, Can you guys start by introducing yourselves quickly? Yes. My name is Martina Viadana. I am 20 years old, and I'm in the professional division at the Ailey School. Excellent. My name is Amina Vadgas. I am 20 years old, and I am also in the professional division at the Ailey School. Awesome. Okay, so thank you both for kicking off this episode as our student voices. What we're going to start off with um, for you guys to open up the floor is um, giving you a hypothetical situation. So you are hurt. You know that if you take a full class or um, do certain movements or participate in rehearsal, your injury is only going to get worse. Uh, Do you feel comfortable advocating for yourself in the studio or rehearsal space? Um, For me, it all depends on who is standing in the front of the room and the importance of who is standing in front of the room and what time of the day it is. I think... um, if it's at the very beginning of the day, if it's like my first ballet class, I definitely will take it easier. Um, and then throughout the day, if it still gets worse and worse and I hit rehearsal, then maybe I'll say something to my choreographer. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And if it gets worse during rehearsal, then I'll probably say something. But it's always about who's in front of the room and um, what class it is, what time it is, like how hurt am I. Um, but I just started doing this. like. Um, this past year and probably the second um, half of last year before I used to just keep it to myself and just like would wait it out. Uh, Recently I started advocating for myself because I realized that I was like I can't keep going like this because I need to make it to May and it's only like January let's say so yeah. Yeah piggybacking off of that I think as I've matured as a dancer and as an artist I've advocated for myself more because we're forced to think long-term and not just, you know, this one class today or this one school semester. We're working towards a long-lasting career in this field. So if I know I have a sprained ankle, I'm not going to do the grand jetés and I'm not going to go crazy in Petit Allegro because I want to be able to perform at the end of the semester and I want to be able to tour at some point in my life. But that's something that I've definitely learned to do over time. Gotcha. Okay, so Martina, you said a couple of things that we're going to pick up on. Um, You said it depends on who is in front of you. Is that Mm -hmm. because you're nervous about different reactions or what? Um, Not so much nervousness, but probably knowing what they're going to say. For example... Uh, if it's a ballet teacher, it's usually they kind of pass over your injury. You just kind of tell them, they're like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Because they have so many students probably all at the same time being like this, 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 and like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, and I've also noticed that a lot of um, dance teachers who have, or well, ballet teachers particularly, who have done the whole ballet world, they're not as lenient with injuries. Like, oh, you're still injured like a week later. And it's like, yes, it takes a little bit longer than a week to get back. Um, but I did notice when it comes to like um, techniques like Horton and rehearsals where your choreographer is a little bit younger or still working, they know that when something hurts, it's smarter um, to just lay off rather than like keep working it, especially in a technique like Horton where it's pretty, um, pretty asking of the body to do some crazy stuff all the time. Same with ballet, but Horton is like 
all out, like going to the floor, getting back up, jumping from there, from here, backflip, not backflip, but you know what I mean. Um, so I, I noticed that they are usually like, okay, like I get that, it's fine. And especially if the teacher, the choreographer is still dancing, that's when they're like, okay, like whatever you need to do, like they're much more understanding about what it means to be injured and still having to dance from 8.30 to 10 o'clock at night, going to school in between or going to your job in between or um, having like a million classes in between that are um, in your schedule because, you know, you have to graduate or in certificate and you're um, required. But yeah. I've found in my experience that the way the person in the, the, in the front of the room treats you is depending on how you are in the class. Sure. So I feel like students who are very consistent in class, you know, who are hard workers, always always doing what is expected of them or, and more, when we go up to a teacher and we say, oh, this hurts, this hurts, then they realize, oh, this must be serious because this is someone who's always doing what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I've only ever gotten, you know, afraid to say something in a rehearsal setting because you don't want to show weakness. And I feel like around performance time, you know, injury is weakness. Like, oh, you you can't hold your body together, then you don't have what it takes. So I've never been, like, hesitant necessarily with my teachers, but definitely with outside choreographers who would come to the Ailey School because this is the only time we get to interact with these people. And it's really, at our stage, it's a form of networking. Mm -hmm. So... You don't want to mess up. You don't want to look like you're out of the game. Totally. And I think, you know, that's something that I struggle with in the injury clinic is seeing some of you guys. And by you guys, I mean um, student dancers, not necessarily you two. (laughs) Um, And I say, you know, hey, I don't want you lifting your leg up past 90 degrees, for example. Right. Um, And people comply until it gets to a rehearsal or a performance time. But or even going to the club and <laughs> ganking your leg out. But I think, like, you know, for me that um, those suggestions are meant to be a lifestyle thing for the period of time that I prescribe it. So um, I guess I kind of wonder, do you think that you can be perceived as a hard worker and still be injured with limitations? No. 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 Why not? It's like all or nothing? I, well, it's it's a case-by-case basis. Like, if, if it's someone who you have a relationship with, mm-hmm. it's different because they know how you are without injury. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, stepping into the room with a new person mm-hmm. at the front, they're, they're seeing you for the first time, and I'll go, oh, excuse me, miss, mister, uh, I have this thing with my knee, I can't grand plie, and they're like, okay, okay, uh, stand over there, like, do what you need to do. But then when they say, all right, I need you to hit this step, and it's a grand plie, and then you get up and bop yourself in the face, I, I can't do that. So I'm going to work hard, I'm going to do my demi, I'm going to keep my alignment and everything, but at the end of the day, it's not what they're asking for Mm -hmm. so you will be overlooked and is that are you saying this not to challenge you Amina but to challenge you are you saying this (laughs) because you've experienced this or because that's what you you think do you know what I mean I've that's what I think Mm because I'm one of those bad people who is told stop (laughs) (laughs) who's told in PT hey don't put pressure on like don't put any weight on your hands and then I get into rehearsal and he's like all right who can you know tuck and roll from this ponche position I'm like oh I can I got you done (laughs) right I want that part uh but also that kind of brings back the issue of not thinking long term sure sure yeah anything you want to say yeah for me it's very uh yes and no I think oh for me okay so I've witnessed it, but I've also experienced, like, uh, choreographers being like, okay, like, it's it's fine. And I always, I don't know why this stuck with me, but I remember when I was little, I was watching this ballet video uh, about this company. And this 
dancer she was like the prima ballerina in the front and she was like you know i have this neck thing like i really can't do that and the coffer looked at her and he was like okay and like switched her out immediately with the understudy and i remember my mom was like see you can't do that and i think like <laughs> for some reason i was like okay like that's what i'm going to do and that's what i do with myself in rehearsal i'm very much like martina like just don't say anything it's going to be fine but then like i see my best friend who was like knee is swollen the size of her face or like this girl's like crying in the corner because of a shoulder or something and i'm like oh you need to advocate for yourself but then i don't do it for myself so right. it's kind of like a yes and no because in my head i'm like no like you need to say something cuz it's better for you in the long term like it's about long term it's not about tomorrow it's about 5 years from now cuz i don't want to have a hip surgery i don't want to have any type of replacement cuz i won't have the money for it i already know now mm-hmm. but in my head i have this like mental block like you need to be like two steps ahead of the game always and especially in like a pre-professional program where i feel like you're being looked at in secret like 24/7 mm-hmm. like even if you like step one second out of line being like oh i'm injured like i feel like that one voice gets traveled to like this person and this person and this person and then for some reason like you don't get casted or you don't get called to do that one project outside of school and you're sure. like but why? And they're like, maybe because I was injured or two weeks ago, you know? So I, n- I know you know this because I've had this conversation with both of you on in different points of time, but like, you know, totally advocating for yourself and staying out of something for three days now is going to spare you a couple months or a couple weeks or, you know, situation dependent of um, drawn out discomfort. So I'm kind of wondering, and I know you guys know that. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering, like, you've, you've named it a little bit, but what specifically is you're saying the right things, longevity, advocate for yourself. Yes, but you're not consistently doing it. So where is the disconnect? What are you feeling? What are you experiencing? I, I don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> Bang! <laughs> That's it. I'm not, I'm, no one's hiring me. Like I'm gonna have to keep fighting for it until truth. Martina, someone, <laughs> someone gives me a contract. Yeah, like yeah, literally, yeah. I think I'm just like <laughs> she's I'm blushing. Just waiting. No, yeah. really. Like it's it's down to it, and I feel yeah. like we are so close. Well, at least I. This is my last semester as a student. I've told myself it's time to take the training wheels off. And I just, I have to just keep pushing to, like, get hired. And then if something happens, like, I'll take care of it. I know how to because Marissa has taught me. But, (laughs) (laughs) like, I just just have to keep going for it until, like, I'm satisfied with what I (laughs) have, I guess. In in my case, it's the same thing. I have, like, one more semester left Mm -hmm. here. But still, especially, like, in our age group, it's very competitive. And even even in a place at Ailey and at the Ailey school where it's very like, you know, community oriented and everyone's nice and da 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 it's still a competition mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you're my girl, you're my best friend, but there can only be one lead. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's gonna be me. Exactly. Right. Like that that's just like I feel like that mindset is what makes like us excellent and what keeps us pushing. So it sometimes it's sad to say but sometimes it takes like a crazy freak injury to really like bring you back to ground center. zero and center yeah. you and be like hey you this need to slow up. down you need yeah. to slow down um okay two more things i want to bring up the first is that do you realize that you both are talking about longevity but you want jobs now <laughs> Well, and yes. realize that you, I mean, I get it because I, I was there too, but like that you have, if you are setting yourself up for longevity, you have years on years mm-hmm. and a lot of, a lot of people don't necessarily get jobs right away. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But when I think longevity, I think, you know, I get a job now that I keep for years on years <laughs> on years. Fair. You are not a millennial then. <laughs> <laughs> That's my goal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or... Especially, like, when you go to a professional training program, like, you're spending, like, so much time. Like, for me, I'm going to be spending four years yeah. in school. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't want to spend four more years trying to get a job yeah. that I wasn't four years in school for. 
you know? Sure. So I feel like I get you. Like this I get is, you. This is my preparation for the world. Right. But it, I guess it's not always realistic. But yeah. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think I've literally just come around probably in the last month or so where I was like kind of looking around myself and I was like, you know what? This whole getting a job right out of school is not really looking (laughs) like it's going to happen and that's fine because I feel like um, as dancers and I might be using this word wrong but I feel like we're constantly if you're even if you're in a company you're kind of constantly freelancing and doing a bunch of different projects or working and teaching and um, yeah like random projects here and there yeah Mm -hmm. lots of things constantly even if you have a steady job Mm -hmm. um and I think also there's not always a place for you right away and you have to wait. And I think I realized again, like through my college process, which has been a whirlwind, I realized that it comes with time and I feel like I get better over time maturity. And I'm not saying dance wise, but also with my mind, I feel like I'm able to get through a lot more, Mm -hmm. but I think this rush to get a job right out of school for me personally is also mainly because I know technically I will never be as strong as I am now Mm because I'm taking ballet every day. So I'm taking Horan every day, taking Graham. Like I am sticking to like going to class every day that I know I'm not going to (laughs) do when I get out because that motivation is going to go away at some point. And I know I'm going to try to talk myself into it, but it's hard. And I know that I'm like, if I go to this audition, like right away as I finish, like I will, those arabesque and pirouettes and all that technique and patillo girls never going to look as good as it is now. Like, that's why I feel like I need to get something now because it's the best position, like physically I could possibly be. Fair. Okay. I'm going to circle back around to something that came up before, which Amina, you immediately said no to, which is that if, can you be, I forgot the words I used exactly, but can you be considered a hard worker even if you're injured and you're not doing everything? Um, Okay, I'm going to pose a hypothetical. Martina, I think you've heard this. Um, Imagine you're a supervisor at work and you have two colleagues and the first colleague says, that both both of them look like they're hurting and they're having a really hard time for whatever reason and it's impacting how they're working. And one of them comes up to you and says, hey, I just want you to know that I'm having a really hard time right now and I'm doing X, Y, and Z to get myself better and I hope to be better soon. Like, this is my plan. And the second colleague doesn't say anything to you. Is there one of those colleagues that you that kind of earns brownie points or respect points because of actions they've taken? Either they've stayed quiet or said something, or do you just feel similarly to both of them? I mean, I roll my eyes because it's yeah. like brownie <laughs> points for the person that comes up and says something, mm-hmm. um, which goes against everything <laughs> that I feel in my head, but it's, it's true. Like when someone comes up to you and owns up, to what's going on I think they have um I don't want to say a higher maturity level um but I think they are more aware of themselves and what they're capable of so you know that they understand what they can do for you and what they can't do for you currently but they maybe can do in the future right because they have a plan and that's the other thing that's different from just being like I can't do this I can't do this I can't do this Mm -hmm. but rather I just want you to know that I'm taking responsibility and I'm trying to get better yeah definitely brownie points for the communication because kind of thinking about it in a dance perspective for a teacher if you see two people looking like they're struggling and one person explains oh this is why this is what I'm doing to improve it you know this this is how I'm going to get better and then the other person you know is just left up to interpretation like you can only assume like oh maybe they're hurt or maybe they're just lazy right yeah lazy I think that's come up in all three segments (laughs) (laughs) um but I mean I think the last thing that I want to say and you can feel free to respond is that to me the person who's come up with a plan and told you about the plan and seems to be working on the plan as well to me that says hard worker even though they can't live up to the expectations that they 
the expectations that they have for themselves or you have for them. Makes yeah. sense? Because, yeah, yeah, because they're still being diligent and, you know, still working mm-hmm. with what they have. Right. And it it's something that I wish I was better at because in, in my personal experience it wasn't till you know i had no other choice sure. that i had to speak up and say hey yeah this is, this is an issue this is an issue yeah totally um i totally led you there intentionally sorry <laughs> <laughs> but i mean yeah. you um, <laughs> um yeah trapped <laughs> uh but i mean yeah it's something you have to work on but you know dance is hard and we're always working on things and you have time as you mentioned in the beginning yes longevity um so yeah that's it thank you so much both of you thank Thank you (laughs) okay welcome glenn and linda to dance well podcast um can you start by telling us just a little bit about yourselves hello marissa hi how are you i'm great great to be here um well my name is linda celeste sims mm-hmm. and i have been a company member with the alvinelli american dance theater for 24 years um i've also done prior to that two years at ballet hispanico professionally um i studied at the ballet hispanico school for 12 years so i pretty much started when i was six or seven um, I studied ballet, modern, flamenco, mm-hmm. and jazz. Um, and that's pretty much my training. And I just recently had a baby. Yes. <laughs> 2019 in April, I had baby Ellington's James Sims, mm-hmm. and who will be one this April. Hello. Hi, Glenn. Marissa. My name is Glenn Allen Sims. I've been a dancer with the Alvinelli American Dance Theater for 23 years. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, I was a Juilliard student uh, for three years mm-hmm. before I got into Ailey. And I did two summer intensives at the Ailey School in 93 <laughs> and 94. Graduated high school in 94. Danced with some smaller companies while I was in New York my freshman year at Juilliard. What else can I say about myself? I'm a brand new dad as well. Uh-huh. And spending time with my son and cultivating all the things that I've learned throughout my travels and education with him. So it's That's fun great. times. That's great. <laughs> I think it is safe to say that you both have plenty of years of dance experience, which is why I want you or why I invited you on the podcast here today um, as the opposite end of the spectrum from the pre-professional students who I brought on. So as you know, we're talking about advocating for yourself and your body in the studio. So I'm going to open up by asking you, you know, what I ask the students, right? Which is, okay, you get injured um, or you, or something hurts and you know if you do certain steps, it's only going to make things worse. Um, do you feel comfortable advocating for yourself in a studio space? I absolutely do. Um, I think that a reason why I've been able to maintain injury-free for all of my professional years, except for one year. I did sprain my ankle my very, very first year in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really had an issue with feeling a certain way uh, as far as like an injury mm-hmm. to answer the question. Mm-hmm. But once I sprained my ankle, I knew that I had to be a lot smart about how I treated myself mm-hmm. because yeah, it was fun to not do anything for three weeks, but how in the long run, what happened, I hurt myself even more. And then, you know, having to be out for six weeks was torture. Not being able to be in a studio, it made me feel like, well, what if I can't ever go back into a studio so I had a good like self-evaluation I had time to process things and I was very young I was still a teenager Mm -hmm. like 19 20 years old Mm -hmm. and I said well this is never going to happen again Linda oh no we're not going to do this because what if you cannot go back ever again because of your lack of you know blank blank right so what I did was I started taking up other forms of technique, floor bar. I started doing um, not just working out, but doing swimming. I took up swimming and how to jump on the in the pool. It also takes a smart individual, Marissa. Sure you does. have to be smart about your body. So it takes you, just like a, a musician who mm-hmm. takes care of his instrument, mm-hmm. and he has to fine-tune it all the time. It's the same thing you have to do with your body. So yes, speaking up. Being an advocate for yourself is important. I do encourage all students that I teach to do that. 
There are a lot, a lot of things I want to unpack, but Glenn, let's hear from you first. Well, I kind of piggyback off a lot of things that Linda was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, we're from that generation where we did not really have physical therapy readily available to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that with that, you become accustomed to what your body can do and what your body cannot do. You understand your limitations. Um, I am not really that flexible. Like, I don't have a six o'clock tilt or a six o'clock ponche. Sure. But I have to work, I have to work in a certain way to where I don't tear or rip. And that's the thing about being a smart dancer or a smart individual, knowing, having the intellect of your body. And when people say half of the time, how have you danced for so long up until I had the knee surgery a year and a half ago, I think it was, October of 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really have that many issues in terms of dancing, you know, Um, and I'm grateful for that. But with that, there have been circumstances in the studio as a professional dancer where a choreographer might ask you to do um, a manege of chenets on your knee. And if you're thinking about as a professional dancer, it's not just for this moment that you'll be doing it. You'll be doing it for all of the New York season. You'll be doing it for all of the U.S. tour, Saturday mornings. Right. You know, and, <laughs> and it's cool. I, and it's cool. <laughs> you didn't and sleep. I was one of the people that said, I can't do that. Like physically, yes, I can do it for you today. But on the long run, that's on my knees for some time. Mm-hmm. So then having the diagnosis Mm -hmm. that I had this triple meniscus tear after all these years, it kind of put things into perspective for me. Like, okay, so now you really have to be an advocate for yourself. You've pushed yourself this far in your career by doing whatever was asked of you. But with the knee surgery, it really made me, it, it was as if somebody kicked me in the back of the leg and was like, take a moment relax, reset, and -hmm. think about this. Mm -hmm. And it taught me more about myself, how to get stronger again, where I was lacking Mm -hmm. in strength. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Through the knee surgery and then working through that, I had to speak up more about what I could do and what I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. Um, The jump program was great, but physically I wasn't ready for the jump program at the time I was ready for it that they said I was ready for it, quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, certain repertory that I was supposed to dance, I wasn't ready for it at the time. But there's that thing that we all have as artists and dancers that you must do. Like, whatever they say you have to do, you have to do it because you're going to lose out or you'll be demoted. Right. You know, and so at, at a certain point, you have to say, what's worth? I'm worth more than anything else. My body is worth more than anything else because we only get the one body. And they talk about, like, you know, you can't, yeah, you can get hip replacement, but at the same time, you only have this one physical human being body Mm -hmm. that's capable of doing what we do as these gods of dance. Right. So, okay, you guys are speaking in ways which I wish, you know, our younger students could embody, which is like, understanding longevity at its core, right? Every decision that you make now is for your future. Um, But I think what like really crosses students' minds a lot is, okay, I have all these opportunities coming up now and this one could lead to a job. And if I'm not here or if I can't kick my leg like as high as the next person, maybe maybe like the choreographer can't see quality, maybe they won't take me, like maybe I've missed out on like a career forming moment. to those did you guys ever have those fears as well if you did how did you circumnavigate that like glenn you know when you were coming back from your surgery like how did it how did it feel to to tell company management perhaps like hey i don't think i'm capable of doing this like were you afraid of how you were perceived um coming back to work full time with my limit my limitations Ballet class was one thing. Right. You know, you're working on both sides of the body. You're in class. It's an exercise. You're building strength in it. You're doing petite allegro. You're doing classwork. It was in July when I came back to work, and we were working on Donald Byrd's Greenwood. Right. And in the past, I've done Donald Byrd, 
many years ago. And it was one of those things where he wanted to do a revelatard into, into arabesque, cabriole, or something like that. Come up from the floor right. in arabesque, do a revelatard, and into arabesque on the leg that was injured, injured. previously. Mm-hmm. And I, don't, I didn't have the strength to do it. And I was pushing myself, and I was pushing myself, and at a moment I was like, is it really, <laughs> is it really worth it? You know, not to say it negatively, but in, in a positive light, when you look down the end of the tunnel, you see like there's a light mm-hmm. and the bulb goes off in your head and you're like, wow, is it really worth it? You've gotten this far. You can walk. You can take class. You can do the things as a normal person. But would it be worth me pushing myself back into an injury sure. or re-injuring myself trying to fulfill an ego right so yours and and the choreographers and whomever else so it was really hard for me to muster up the boldness to go to management actually I went to the choreographer and I said I can't do this privately sorry oh yes privately and then he was like you don't want to do it and there were certain things where I had to pull myself back out of the room like back and not mm. like keep doing things over and over because again, it's repetition. Right. And repetition will start weakening and weakening, especially if you start exhausting it. Sure. And you start using, you start compensating in other places and therefore you're imbalanced when you were once balanced. And I was like, no, it's not that. And I was like, and it's, a, it's, it's humbling for me to come to you and say this because you've known me for so long that I cannot do this. Let management know as well. And it was just one of those things. It's a full company work everybody's in it it's a world premiere and you know there was a moment where I felt like um (laughs) that they probably really weren't on my side but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day the most important thing was my own health yeah yeah I think one thing like that I want to point out which you know you guys are are approaching this from different angles which is wonderful um but it doesn't sound easy to me. And it's I think not. we're it's kind not. of in this era where it's, it's like we're looking for the quick way to get about things, yada, no. yada. But like no. you could hear from Glenn's story, and Glenn, I hope it's okay that I'm saying this, that like you've been dancing for decades, but this conversation was still obviously hard for you, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, and and emotionally laden, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and Linda, you're talking about, you know, making a choice of whether or not to work with a choreographer, which like, if you're excited about their work, if you've gone in mm-hmm. thinking like, this mm-hmm. could be it, or this mm-hmm. could be a make or break, or I'm doing this premiere, and it's, you know, going to be at this really fabulous space, and all my family is coming, and all that kind of stuff, but to make that decision for your longevity to like pull out, um, it's, it's really difficult. And I yeah. hope that like the the students and the pre-professionals listening, um, listening to this can understand that that's part of the process. It is part of the process. And Marissa, the thing is, is that we're living in a world right now where you're famous in social media. You have sure. 42,000 million likes for this one photo of this gorgeous developer that you did in the street, by the way, in uh-huh. concrete, which right. you shouldn't be jumping. At 6 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, at 6 a.m. <laughs> right, exactly. And you're like, oh, my feet hurt. Well, what, what were you doing? Oh, I hurt my ankle. What were you doing? Sure. I'm jumping in concrete. But right. anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> and so we're not from that generation to where we're used to being treated a certain way in the studio where mm-hmm. these dancers are not. They're not used to being put on the spot. They're not used to having to make, you know, uh, having to cope with, you know, embarrassment, having to cope with uh, rejection. They have a hard time dealing with that. And I really do want to be helpful for the students. I want to say you have to be smart about yourselves. You have to. And you'll be surprised. Maybe that choreographer will actually take a listen to what you have to say and then, you know, say, well, you know what? I understand you're feeling this way. Maybe you could be on the side and just learn the movement, maybe not be part of the piece this year. You never know. Things, you have to make that way. You have to pave your journey. And the only one that's going to do that is yourself. But you want a a good, strong one. You don't want one that's just dangling from one little joint. Right. Like a weak one. You know, you want to, like, you don't build a building on, like, Toothpaste. Yeah, toothpaste, right? Mm-hmm. You need concrete. You need concrete. And I would say that as beginning 
dancers, as beginning your career, as newbies, I would love for you to put everything on concrete. Make concrete decisions. Accept them. They will be painful. Let me tell you, I have cried my many days. Mm -hmm. When a choreographer would, oh, but you chose this one, but I... I think I look a little better. You know, there's certain things that people will always do. You will never be happy. Let me tell you, the world of dance will be emotional. Mm -hmm. It will be a roller coaster, and you're just, you know, even when you make decisions or they make decisions on casting, it will hurt. Yeah, it will hurt. Yeah, but you'll get over it. Glenn, <laughs> it's um, even like just hearing and listening, like some of the things that um, that ring for me, or resonate rather, with me, especially when I hear students say, oh, you, okay, in physical therapy, mm. for one. Sure. <laughs> they're there with all these issues to repair their bodies, and you know, my hamstring, my hip, this, that, and the other thing, but then, they, then you hear as they're in physical therapy room, well, I kind of want to dance with Wayne McGregor, but do you realize that your body is already not strong enough right. to handle right. a choreographer like that, but yet that's something that you're longing for? How about you just live, be present in the moment and fix yourself and then work your way there rather than trying to push and push and push to get to right. a point where you really aren't prepared for? And I think that speaks to Linda's point too about, right, like, mm -hmm figuring out like so fix yourself yes and mm -hmm. then kind of go prophylactically mm -hmm. like what can what else can I do to fortify yeah. what I'm doing in the classroom mm -hmm. and the other thing that we run into with with students that definitely came up when I was speaking to them is like they are in these programs where they're meant to dance from like 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. Mm -hmm. and then they have these extra rehearsals and oh my gosh they're in college too and mm -hmm. then they have these these other outside opportunities and their parents are paying for it mm -hmm. so what does that look like to their parents if they have all these absences yeah. which can you know I think that's an overtraining front which mm -hmm. also makes you weak, weak yeah. but that's that's an even harder point where you have to turn around and be like okay how can I make these sacrifices? How mm. can I go into my teachers and say, hey, I'm, I'm hurting here mm. and figure out a plan, no matter how hard it is, no matter how hard it is. to get you on the horse? Yeah, and that, uh, one thing that, uh, um, that a teacher, Christine Dakin, said to me, because I was doing a lot, honestly, when I was in college. Mm -hmm. I was working. I was in school full time. I was in every piece that was being performed, rehearsing and everything, and then dancing on the outside with different dance companies and working outside and living in Brooklyn. And I would miss nine o'clock class. Yeah. Because I would be too tired because I was doing so much. And then Christine Dakin said to me, she's like, well, if you d decide to become a professional dancer, you need to be committed. Committed meaning like you have to take to body maintenance sure. so you have to cross train you need to do the floor bar the pilates the yoga the gyrotonics like anything that any other discipline that will support your dance training right i'm going to interrupt you and yeah. say support yes but you don't have to do everything i think that's yeah. one thing that like our, our kids often um miss here is that you have to do this 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 mm -hmm. this this and it's not the whole cacophony the whole, yeah, of yeah. things but rather cherry pick what works best for you which is going to take mm -hmm. trial and error and mm -hmm. time as mm -hmm. well yeah anyway keep going sorry <laughs> um and so that like the physical therapy and swimming and like all the different things really do help you and mm -hmm. support your dance training you'll find out along with rolling out and icing and doing all the things that you're supposed to do post right post dance which I learned later on because I was not doing it honestly um, but now I do a post cool down thank you Marissa you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> I was quick to jump on you're welcome <laughs> you know and it's taking the time out for yourself because you need that restorative time sure. and, and sleep will also also help too yeah. which oh, a lot of us don't huge. do and mental wellness mm -hmm. and the, having the right food and all this kind of stuff space all the stuff um so i think i want to close by saying a couple of things and then if you guys have things you want to say after that please um which is that for our listeners i want you to hear that as i said a moment ago this journey is difficult and it doesn't become less difficult as you grow older, perhaps you might become more accustomed to feeling certain things, which will be to your benefit, but you need to be smart. It's going to take time to find your path. And, um, you know, I feel 
privileged to speak to the two of you who've had extraordinary long extraordinarily long careers and you're still going strong because I do believe you've made those uh, tough decisions for yourself. Um, so I hope that our younger audience members can, um, can hear that and take them that with that with them. And I, I would just like to add that, you know, it's work, yeah. you know, yeah. people see it as a glamorized career for the most part, because you're on stage you're under lights, you're in costume, you're in makeup, mm-hmm. but there's many hours behind all of that before you even get to that point yes you know or even before you get to the point where they say oh you know you're a household name or whatever but there's work behind it yeah hours and hours of work and you have to put that in you Mm -hmm. have to put it in so therefore you can reap the benefits of it yeah That was great. Um, Thank you both so much. I appreciate your words of wisdom, your time, and for being truthful. Um, And yeah, appreciate it. Hello, Lynn and Bradley. Welcome to Dancewell. Can you both start by introducing yourselves briefly? Uh, My name is Bradley Schober. Currently, I am a dancer with the Metropolitan Opera Ballet for the last 11 seasons. I'm also the artistic director of the Brooklyn Dance Festival. Um, I have been the artist director of the Steps Repertoire Ensemble. I've danced with Ailey Two, Ballet Hispanico, Limon. I've been around the block, Go and ahead. I also teach at the Ailey School and Joffrey Ballet. Great, thank you. My name is Lynn Glauber Mandel, professionally Lynn Glauber. Uh, I danced with the Bejart Company in Belgium when it was Ballet of the 20th Century. Mm-hmm. I was the youngest one in the company. And then I later uh, came back to the States and danced with the Joffrey Company. And then I later returned back to the Bejar Company for two and a half years uh, and guested a lot in between. Uh, took up teaching in 1989 with Ballet Academy East and taught everywhere in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ballet Spanico. Uh, I also took some guest teaching in uh, Bator in Israel. I did some guest teaching in Czech Republic, the National Ballet. And I've been at the Ailey School for 22, no, I'd say 24 years. And I have um, the title of co-chair of the ballet department. Great. As well as teaching at Marymount College. Excellent. Um, So you guys bring a breadth of experience. And I'm really excited to have you both as the third perspective on this podcast. We've talked to pre-professional dancers, professional dancers, and now you're kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum as both teachers and choreographers um, to kind of talk to us a little bit about advocating for yourselves in the studio. There are a whole bunch of questions I want to ask you. And the first is that do you see... Um, students and even professional dancers advocating for their needs um, in the spaces that you hold for them? Um, I think in my experience as both a teacher and choreographer, yes, I do. However, I do find uh, as a teacher that many times students actually are asking me what they should do. Like, do you think I should sit down? Mm. Uh, do you think I should sit out? Do you think I should modify? And my response is always, well, you know your body. What do you think you should do? Right. You know, uh, what What have you been told? If you've been told that it's okay to dance, then dance. If you've been told that you need to sit out, then you would sit out. But if you ask me as your teacher, obviously I'm going to tell you, you should dance. Right. So I think the advocating should come from them saying, this is what my boundaries are today. This is what I'm capable of doing. I'm letting you know. Then it's easier for me to work with that rather than asking my permission that is what makes me question whether it's a real thing or not sometimes. Sure. Actually, very interesting, Bradley. Um, uh, At the beginning of every class, I ask all the students to come up and speak to me to remind me of what's going on in their bodies before we start. Sure. And a lot of times the students will persist and continue on into the class, as well as limping and not, uh, Ms. Glauber, remember I can't jump, blah, blah, blah. So there are times when I actually tell them I think you've done enough. It's time to sit down. Mm-hmm. Do you really know what you're dealing with? Go and put your name on for PT. Right. Is this getting better? Is this getting worse? And more importantly, after a week, if they are not up dancing, you call the doctor. Yeah. Um, so Bradley, you brought up an interesting point. Like you questioned whether or not something was real. Um, I guess I kind of want to go into that a little bit more. Because 
I think sometimes dancers are trying really hard not to let you see that they're hurt. Um, And then it might come off as not being real. And then maybe it isn't real. Is there a space in which or a time in which you have a conversation with a dancer like after the class to be like, what's really going on? Can we have this conversation? Or like, do you suggest like what Lynn said, go up to PT, please get this, you know, sussed out so that we actually have a note, you know, going forward? Well, I think sometimes what happens is students come up to me and they say, well, I have this thing with my ankle where it's, you know, sore. Sure. And then I'll say to them, okay, but what thing? Which part of your ankle? Like, specifically, what have you been told? Specifically, mm. what is happening? Right. So that me as a teacher, you know, I, I've, I take it upon myself to learn about the body and anatomy so that I can best describe to a dancer what parts of their body they should be accessing as well as sure. parts of their mind. Mm. Because it's uh, astounding to me how many dancers do not know anything about their instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you ask a pianist or a, a violinist, and they know every aspect of how to fine-tune every sound. Yet sure. a dancer doesn't know quadriceps, gastrocnemius, sternocleidomastoid. They don't know what those muscles do. They don't know the function of them. So at that moment when they're, they're telling me that they have this thing, I say to them, well, specifically what thing? Mm-hmm. Specifically what happened when this thing occurred yeah and many times they they don't know so then I'm like okay well are you sore or are you in pain because there's two big differences there between sure that is. too mm-hmm. uh, because sitting here right now I'm sore right but I'm not in pain right so there's also knowing you know I, I I'm trying to encourage them and empower them to know their bodies to make uh, active choices mm-hmm. in understanding the differences between those two um those two feelings because again one is a feeling and one is an actual tangible I have an injury right and then I that's kind of when I mean by uh, I I don't really know what's real or not that's kind of where I kind of can get to the bottom of it a little bit because then you see the wheels go off in their head and then you see in their eyes they're like yeah okay you're right I'll take the class so I'm like, well, right. then Okay, well, then the that difference. wasn't great. Right. So that actually um, is interesting because that is a lot of what I deal with in the injury clinic, which we're sitting in the injury clinic at Alvin Haley, which is I feel like I take it upon myself to also be an educator and say, okay, your ankle feels, let's go back to the ankle thing, your ankle feels weird. What do you mean by weird? Exactly. But at the end of the 20 minutes, it's like, okay, what do you understand that I told you? You know, what is our plan? Can you articulate that to me so that... You can have the language to go to you, Bradley, or you, Lynn, and say, yes, I have this ankle thing. So I get it. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I, I think it's also important that the dancers learn how to articulate. Mm-hmm. Because if they're going to be advocating mm-hmm. in any aspect of the studio, they have, they have to then be able to articulate what exactly their needs are at that moment as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels weird. I always tell them, well, you know, not for nothing, but get used to that in right. this career. Right. You're always going to be a little sore. Something's always going to feel a little off. Mm-hmm. Know what the difference is because right. then you're, you're, it's much clearer for you to say, I cannot do this. Right. Great. Right. Fine. Okay, so I think another thing that's come up for students is they are so nervous about missing out on opportunities. Um, they're here in the school. They feel like they, you know, have a this narrow window in which to, like, make it or not, which I think we forget sometimes that we're young and we actually have a while to make it. Um, and they're worried about telling you that they... Um, that they are injured. Can you speak to like Bradley as a choreographer, um, what's going through your head when someone comes up to you and says, you know, I'm injured in your piece or, Hey, you know, I'm, you're creating a piece and the dancer is doing something that actually is really not sitting well with their body. Um, is that okay with you? Do you start to think poorly of them? Like, can you elaborate on what's going on? I mean, I think as a choreographer, you know, part of my joy of being a choreographer is bringing out the best in the dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, that brings out the best in my work. Sure. So, um, you know, I'm also of the mindset where I never make a dancer do something that I cannot do myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that might change the older I get, right. but um, or could never do myself, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, you know, I think there is... 
as choreographers, we develop relationships with the dancers mm -hmm. that we're working with mm -hmm. in terms of we kind of know them and how they work and how they think and how they move and how they are um, effective. So if a dancer comes to me who is a highly effective dancer and it's something that is not a consistent issue, mm -hmm. my thought as a choreographer, well, you know, don't kill yourself. It's, it's not worth it. It's not right. worth it in the long term. You know, you take the next couple of rehearsals and, and you, we modify things and just make sure that you were clear with what it is that we're modifying and, you know, do the arms full out or whatever so that at least you're getting the value of it because there is a lot of value in going through the movement sure. mentally as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, oddly enough, an example is I tore my ACL uh, on stage at the Radio City Christmas Spectacular and crawled off stage Ow. and said to the doctor who was backstage, just take me up, I'll go on and finish the show. And the doctor backstage said, well, I could do that, but this would probably then be your last show. And that was the moment for me where I sat down and I was doing all these exercises that he was asking me to do to test it out. I was squatting down, I was doing all of this full out. You know, and, he's, and, and it put that perspective, it's not worth it in the long run. This right. one small moment, as significant as it might be for me and as trained as we are psychologically to, but I have to do it, I have to give it 100%, I'm a dancer, it's what I'm trained to do. Nah, nah, nah. Mm -hmm. At that moment, I realized that it is a small drop in a very big bucket of what sure. your career could be. Sure. And it's, it's not worth it. You know, I have been in, in a situation with dancers where it has been a chronic injury for them and I had to take them out of the piece, but not because of the piece, but because for them it's, it's sure. you know, I'm advocating for them more than sometimes the dancers advocate for themselves. Um, just putting myself in the dancer's shoes, like if you had to take somebody out because of a chronic issue that you're seeing, would that preclude you from ever hiring or working with them again? No, never. Okay. Never. Um, you know, again, I would hope that they would come, I would hope that the next time they come back, they have more information and they come back stronger from sure. this injury because, you know, we, I never learned more about myself as a dancer and as a human being than when I was injured and not able to do my craft for, you know, four or five months. It was some of the, it was the darkest time of my life I can sure. remember, but also the most necessary time that I needed because it changed my perception also of, like I said, that small drop in a very large bucket. You know, as Lynn said before, we only have the one body. You've, you have to take care of it. Right. Wow, Bradley. That was, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say I've had my share of also uh, injuries. And unfortunately, I didn't have the teachers and the uh, physical therapists and the uh, amount of doctors around me because I was living in Europe and I was very young. I was 17. Um, my first big sprained ankle was at 18 and they shot my ankle up with cortisone and I didn't know that that was the worst thing to do. Mm. And that ankle was the doom of my career, even though I pursued, 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 and I still danced with it. Um, so there are certain, I, I agree with Bradley, Bradley, um, in the, in, in the instance of you do get to know your students, you know who they are, what they're about, and it is really rare that a student will sit down that I know that is serious about their craft if they're really not ailing, and then I will help them to, sure. like you said, it's not worth it, that one drop in the big bucket in the scheme of things after my experiences as well. Mm -hmm. There was a moment in my career where I was dropped in an overhead lift Oof. on my knee and my knee hit the floor first of a very high overhead lift. It was right before the curtain went up, mm -hmm. and I didn't have the luxury. So my knee blew out, but I did have to do the ballet mm. um, because they called five. Right. So I was very lucky because I was fortunate enough not to have anything totally damaged. I had a contramalasian kneecap mm. that was smashed, but mm -hmm. I took time and it healed and it was not anything that was not, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, long, ending. yeah, career ending. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Chronic. Yeah. But yes, it did, it did give me some, some, uh, some difficult times going upstairs for a while and, you know, but it did eventually heal and it wasn't the doom of my career. Yeah. So dealing with things, you really get to know also the student and whether they are really uh, strong enough mentally right. to take this and 
bright enough to do the research on their own body. Right. Advocate. That's yeah. One thing that um, Glenn and Linda and I spoke about in the previous segment is um, dance is really hard. And that's on multiple levels. Like dance is physically very challenging. Dance is emotionally very challenging. Um, you know, dance you know, asks forces you to ask a lot of questions and grapple with a lot of things um so there's no part of advocating for yourself that is going to be easy i think well one other thing i wanted to mention bradley being a choreographer and me being a teacher in the professional division the students are very nervous about their absences i was just about to bring that up good thank you and this is something no i have to do the bar because i will be called absent and then i will have three absences and then blah 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 yeah so Again, it's the drop in the bucket. Thank you very much for that because mm-hmm. it's such a great imagery. Um, no. No what? Sorry. No meaning meaning that, no, you have to sit down sure. for this class and learn from your, your, you know, your peers mm-hmm. uh, and colleagues that this is not a good thing to do. And so the one class will be taking you one week further into your career that will, you'll be stronger. Absolutely. Yeah. That, I mean, that's my feeling as well. But then how do you have a conversation with them about the whole absence thing and won't be able to pass this class? And One or two absences mm-hmm. will lead you to seven or eight absences that you would have if you would have gone to that one point further than you needed to go at that particular time of an injury being so inflamed or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then from then on, I mean, maybe you have to take a medical leave if it's chronic or you can't get rid of it. But I believe that that one or two days, right, alleviates seven or eight. Right. There's a critical period. And then, right. And then it's uh, a whole different story. Yeah. Sorry, one more thing. The, um, I think one of the things that we sometimes, that I'm, I also speak to my students about too is, you know, there's the physical injury Mm -hmm. uh, or something that happened to you and then the part that takes the longest to recover from is the emotional because you start to you start to doubt your body especially if you have something major like you know you tear your knee or an ankle or a calf muscle or you know your Achilles tendon or something it once the body heals it's then trusting and making sure that you are finding that balance again with the new idea that you have of your body the new Mm -hmm. concept that you have of your body Mm -hmm. and you know for me, th- I think having had that experience myself, I, it's easier for me to rec- for both of us because we've both been that. injured. We recognize it's a little bit easier for us to recognize that in the dancer too, and mm-hmm. to then also be able to give them that encouragement mentally and emotionally too, while they're figuring out the physicality of it. Sure, absolutely, and I think you know, it sounds to me like students would be lucky to have you in a classroom. But this, I think, goes to um, this is also part of the research, right? To figure right. out what your body is and and how to trust your body, right? There is so many resources that we could tap into, including but not limited to Google. You know, Google. Well, that, that's oh a click gosh. hole, though. I have to say, you have to be careful with Google. Yeah, yeah true. But there are like physical therapy, like medical doctors, um, uh, mental health counseling, which is taboo. Right. But like that's a big part of learning how to trust your body and and move forward. Right. Um, nutritional counseling, etc. You guys have brought up some incredibly rich points. Thank you very much. I think um, I would like to start wrapping up by asking you um, to give. Give some nuggets of wisdom to these frightened individuals who are afraid of advocating for themselves in your spaces, in other spaces, et cetera. You know, I tell my students and I I tell the dancers that I work with all the time that this is really the only moment that is for you. The rest of it will be for your artistic director, for your choreographer, for your audience. This is the time where you have to take care of yourself. You have to be smart. You have to make intelligent choices. You have to make informed choices. You have to learn about your instrument because if you want your instrument to play for as long as it possibly can, you have to know every possible time that it is even slightly out of tune and how to get it back. Back in. And that comes with self-education. You Mm -hmm. know, there's only so much we could do as dancers, teachers, and choreographers ourselves to other dancers. The rest you sort of have to take into your own hands. Well, I find that we get a lot of these international students and even students from different states that come and they're car riders. They get in the car, they go to the grocery, they, they're not used to pounding the, the pavement. pavement of New York mm-hmm. City. That's a lot. And I feel more and more, I'm saying to these kids, 
get a good pair of sneakers, mm-hmm. spend the money with mm-hmm. thick rubber. The BFA kids that carry around these backpacks that are so heavy with their computers and their books, I don't even know what they have in there. I know from having back issues, you again, you only have one body. Get a roller bag. They look at me like I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. Get a roller bag. Mm-hmm. You can pick it up and down the stairs and you roll it, you know. Um, they don't realize that the, the longevity of these little tiny things are going to be huge Absolutely. later on. But um, I think getting back to what Bradley was saying, it, it definitely emotionally has to be supported. Yeah. And I feel very fortunate that the kids will come to us and, you know, open their hearts to us. Um, not every teacher is, is willing to give that time and energy. Sure. And um, we all have to be parents to the to the kids. They're not really kids. They're adults, but they're young adults. Correct. From yeah. all different walks of life. Right. There's still a lot to learn. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. I appreciate it. Thank you, Marissa. Of course. This was wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. On behalf of Ellie and myself, I, Marissa Schaefer, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzy, and dancer-designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to Dancewell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help us to pay for SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a contribution to Dancewell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website at www.dancewellpodcast.com. If you have questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.